morning and greetings in the name of Christ. It's indeed a blessing to be with the saints at Prairie this morning back home here. Most of us appreciate being independent. in some form or another. We like to make our own decisions. We like to make our own choices. We like to, if possible, control our situation. And we like to generally feed and take care of ourselves. I mean, I just recently heard that there's this adult who likes being treated as a baby. I mean, that is most unnormal and unnatural. Because most little children that I know of, as soon as possible, you will get the idea, I can do this myself. Don't help me. I will do it myself. Whether it, whatever it is. There's something about being independent that's just part of our nature. And I will admit, the older I get, it's more difficult to lose it. <laughs> I hope I can always remain independent. <laughs> but I do know that realities are that we do become dependent again in ways that we were not for some time. That can all be. But that dependent, that independent spirit has a downside. We like the word independent and yet it's a dangerous word. Uh, because it tends to make us want to be self-sufficient. Sometimes not just self-sufficient, but totally self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. I am a self-made, well-made, totally made me. That's how we like it. We become imbalanced individuals. We tend to become selfish because we focus on me. That is linked with the whole area of pride because it's I. And we really become unaware we are unaware of the reality of things because who of us is totally independent? Thank you, Alan. Who of us is? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. The prophet Jeremiah says in 10.23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. <laughs> right there it shows us that we need something other than who we are. So, who are we? Before I give you my text, I'd like to talk to the children a little bit about this whole matter of needs. Now, I believe that all the children here appreciate mom and dad, right? What would your life be like 
children if you did not have a mama or a, and a papa. You didn't have either. Can you imagine life without any parents? Let's say you're four years old, you're eight years old, or you're twelve years old, and you had no parents. What would be different about your life? Would you have the food that you have at home? Would you have the clothes that you have? The toys you have? Would you live in the kind of house you do? Would you have the love that you have that people show to you? The care? Would you have those things? I really don't think so. Maybe other people would take care of you, okay? But it wouldn't be quite the same as having your own mom and dad. So do you think that you need mom and dad? Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the teenagers need dad. At least they need the car. <laughs> and cash once in a while. And details like that. And they definitely do need mom's laundry facilities and the kitchen. Uh, so we're pretty, pretty handicapped without without these very basic things, right? Okay. Now, children, there are some people who actually say this. Can you believe it? That I don't need God. Now, I know we're all supposed to say that we need God. Imagine what it would be like if you did not need God. What would you be missing? Where would the air come from that you breathe? Can you buy it? No. It's just there, right? Who gives it? God does. And even such things as water. Yes, we can buy water, so on. But where does it eventually come from? God made it, right? So if we didn't have God, would we have water? No, we wouldn't have air. Uh, some other things. Can your mom and dad give you health? They can help you be healthy, right? But can they give you health when you are sick? No. Impossible. No dad can give health. They can help you. They can do all kinds of things to see that it happens. But they cannot give you health. They can't give you intelligence either. They can't help. They can't give you strength. They can't do those things. They can't give you salvation. They can't give you heaven. So, there are some things that mom and dads can't even do. Now, we're pretty dependent on mom and dad, aren't we? We need mom and dad. We'd be stuck without them. But children, imagine life Imagine trying to live without a God. Without God. It doesn't work. Even if we can't see God, He is there and He is very much here. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of, a lot that we get only God can give us. Yes, and even all the food and all those other things, they, they finally come from Him too. But there are some things we would not be able to be around 
if we didn't have a, if there was no God. So, children, that makes us that makes us very. I'm going to use a big word, dependent. You know what it means to me dependent? That means I cannot do without. I need something or someone. If a person is dependent, he cannot be on his own. He needs help. And it's not just children. Your moms and dads need the same. You do. We all do. This morning I'd like to look at one very basic reason to pray. And that is I need. I need. I invite you to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. I'll tell the story and then we'll come to the 12th verse. This is a one of the more familiar stories of the later kings. It's King Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was king of Judah and all of a sudden Judah it finds itself that there's the enemies of Moab and the enemies of Ammon. And others, they come around and they say, we are going to fight Jehoshaphat and Judah. We're going to have war with them. And they come to Jehoshaphat and they say, we're going to come, there's this big army coming. And the Bible says in verse 3 of that chapter, Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat feared set himself to seek the Lord, proclaim a fast. He, he knew he was in trouble. He knew he was a little man against all these big men. If they all pounced on him and invaded him, I mean he was helpless, he was, he was gone. He was done. And so Jehoshaphat set himself, determines we're going to seek God. We're going to ask help from God. It says that in verse 4, to ask help of the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. And so these people all gather in Jerusalem, in the church there, in the, in the, in the, in the temple, the new court, and they, they start praying. And Jehoshaphat is praying and and this and he says, We built this tabernacle, we here we are, you are the God. You've promised that if we come and we seek your face when there's trouble, you will help us. And so on. Verse ten he says, Behold the children of Ammon and, and Moab and Mount Seir, and that they, they're coming. And then all of a sudden, later in the chapter in verse 15 or 14, there's a, a group of prophets and God's Spirit comes upon these men and they say to the people, this is what God says. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The battle isn't yours, it's God's. Tomorrow, you just stand still, be calm, wait on God, see the salvation, see what God's going to do. It's going to be his battle, and he's going to take care of the problem with Ammon and Moab and all these other people. And Jehoshaphat, the people believed what these prophets were saying. They worshiped God. And they were just supposed to continue trusting in him. Well, the next day they do something that 
I, I don't think any army general would ever consider to be wise. The first group of men that they send out to battle are singers, the choir. Huh. That's not how you start a battle with a choir. They send out the singers. And they've been told to believe in the Lord, be established, believe His prophets, you're going to prosper. All these things. And they send these out. And all of a sudden they realize that there's whole armies of people that are against them been destroyed. There's been ambushments that have come around. God said, sent them and multitudes have been killed. God definitely did, took care of the battle. He did. Now I'd like to look at verse 12, which I believe is part of the key. Where Jehoshaphat and people are praying, they're saying, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. We're dependent on you. These people weren't just at wit's end. They were at the end. There was nothing left. And so my question this morning is, why do you pray? Is it because it's become a habit? Is it because it makes you feel better? Is it because it's something that you know you should do? Is it because it's something you know God expects of you? All these are really lame reasons. I'm not saying they are not reasons. There are several reasons why we should pray. I'm just looking at one of them this morning. It's because we're needy people. I know we may not like to admit that, but we are. I've been reading a book recently that talks about the power of prayer. So on the need for prayer. This author says this that the American culture in which we live is one of the hardest places to pray. Why? For these reasons. Because we prize accomplishment and production. And prayer seems to be not production evident, right? prayer is waiting it's, it's maybe saying something to someone you can't see that doesn't look like actual happening it doesn't a lot of people have the idea all that prayer does is just make people feel good at best we prize production and so somehow prayer gets in the way of production. The second reason why prayer is so difficult in our culture is because we enjoy entertainment. Tell me how many people love to pray. They'd rather pray than go on vacation or to a game. How many people? Not a whole lot. Prayer is difficult in our kinds of settings because we welcome noise and activity. It's got to be booming. Something's got to be going. Prayer, meditation, contemplation, quiet makes people very uncomfortable. Especially if it's longer than five minutes. 
It's gotta, something's got to be happening. Prayer is difficult in our society because we prize intelligence, competency, and wealth. We can actually do a lot of life without God. We think so. We think so. If we're sick, we go to the doctor. If we need cash, we go to the bank. We're insured to the hilt. There's always some way of sol generally of solving a problem. To, to most degrees, we have ways to cover ourselves and to even get ahead. God, if anything, He's the last straw. When everything else fails, oh, God. We sure found that out on September 11, 2001, didn't we? Then all of a sudden people knew that there was a God. Or they remembered that there was one. We become very independent. Very. But we need to pray. We need to pray. What is prayer? I want to come back to this need of prayer yet. But in the meantime, let's, let's first look what actually is prayer. I think children here could probably oh yeah prayer you do certain things you fold your hands you close your eyes and you say certain words it usually starts with heavenly father dear Jesus something like that and it closes with in Jesus name amen and there's a whole bunch in between sometimes short sometimes longer and usually we ask for things in between there right that's prayer I'm not saying that that isn't prayer But if that, if you are a child of God that's growing in the Lord, has been growing for some time, or should be growing for some time, I hope prayer is more than that. That's a very elementary form of prayer. It is. What is prayer? This writer said, and I'm, I'm not going to be quoting from him a lot, but I guess he stirred my thoughts a bit as I've been studying the scriptures because I will confess the whole matter of prayer to me has been a something I know I needed to, to really been work in my life. I, I, I think something is happening not at the rate I'd like to see it. I will confess. But anyway... This person says, prayer is meant to be the conversation where my life and God's meet. Prayer is really where, where God and I touch each other. It's a bit like the breath of the soul. It's, it's, it should be more than just a once in a while encounter. In fact, the verse out of Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 has taken on new meaning. Where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. That's not just an invitation for salvation, dear ones. That's an invitation for life. That's an invitation for connection. That's an invitation for relationship. That's an invitation for prayer. Prayer really should be a lifestyle. Not just a once in a while happening. It's like having dinner with a good friend constantly. Why is it a relationship? Because Jesus speaks about this and he talks about 
God is our Father, and if our if if fathers on earth are so willing to give their children the best, how doesn't the heavenly Father want to give even more to those that are His children? And by the way, prayer is not just about giving, but it includes that. And if you're a child of God, if you're a born-again Christian here, when you gave God your life, guess what God gave you? You say, well, He gave me salvation. Uh Uh-huh. He gave you more. He gave you Himself. He gave you His life. He gave you what He is. That's what He gives you. And that's what He wants us to continue having. That's connection. That's relationship. The overwhelming desire above all else that God has for us is that we be His friend and be connected with Him. And so prayer isn't so much experiencing God, but really it's getting to know God like you try to get to know a spouse in, a, in some way. Some way. It's a relationship. Not just that. Prayer, by getting to know God, is never just in um, a, a God-me situation. Just like salvation is never just a God-me situation. Yes, it is. But it, it will always become others-inclusive. It draws others along with us. And so prayer does the same. Prayer does not just become a selfish, intimate, God-me situation only. It will draw. It will connect with others and I draw them with me as I connect with God. Prayer therefore becomes part of life. You say, well, my, my life is so busy. Learning to pray doesn't offer you a less busy life, but dear ones, it offers you a less busy heart. Because you take your busyness to Him. And it becomes a place where we just share life with God. As we're on the move, and also as we take time to spend just apart and alone with Him. And what happens? Many of you probably have seen these signs that says prayer changes things, right? There's something much more than that that prayer should change. Prayer changes me. He said, well, uh, I pray so that I get things and so that God will do this and God will do that. Yes, prayers should involve those things. But you, you observe people who you sense to be praying individuals. Sincere praying individuals. A man of prayer, so to speak. A woman of prayer. There's something about them that is different. And I don't think that they were born with that. That's something that has developed because of relationship and connection with God. Because as we, if prayer becomes lifestyle relationship, it will change us because relationships always change us. David and Rochelle, I think uh, you're changing because of your relationship to each other. And so any couple here, 
if there is a relationship. And the longer the relationship, the more the change. Right? I hope so. Maybe we got married in order to change somebody else's situation. <laughs> Guess what? We're in for it. <laughs> Rel true relationships change who we are. How we think, how we act, how we respond. Because we learn to know closely someone else. Do you then not expect that as you continue praying and drawing on God, spending time with Him, waiting on the Lord, it's going to make you a different you? I hope so. I hope so. So if you want to stay the way you are, don't pray. Don't pray. As I was indicating, prayer is it's lifestyle. We go about our work praying. True. But any relationship also requires and anticipates quality time that we make room for. We do. Relationships, meaningful, deep relationships do not develop on the fly or while we're multitasking. Relationships do not develop if you're sitting on your iPad, i, I smart, whatever, with your companion sitting next to you. That, that's not developing a good relationship. You're developing a relationship this way, but not this way. Prayer is what we do as we go about what we're doing. Communicating and committing things to the Lord as we encounter circumstances and situations and thoughts come into our minds and hearts. But prayer is also where we dedicate time just to draw close to God and spend time seeking Him, His face. Now, let's go back to the need of prayer the needs that I have the needs for needy prayer if I want this kind of prayer life to be my reality my lifestyle there's two things that are required maybe some others but two things one is I must admit and commit myself to being an indi uh, to being a dependent individual. And that's what we don't like. Because prayer and independency do not link well together. They don't. The most necessary state for a praying life is dependency. Because a needy heart becomes a praying heart. Because once we sense that there's nothing else left, what do we do? We pray. Why do we wait till that point? Because we have so many props in the way to try to keep us up. Our helplessness, which we don't like to admit, is sometimes the most powerful thing that will rise and raise the tender heart of our Father. Parents, all of us know the blessing of having a totally helpless, dependent child. There's something about that that just grips a mother's heart or a dad's heart. This, this individual just needs me, is totally trusting me, totally dependent on me. 
and there's something that that parents will, will do almost anything for a situation like that. Don't you think God will do the same? Dependency moves the heart of God. Jesus invites us to pray. He says, Come unto me, all you who are independent, wealthy, come unto me and I'm going to give you rest. No, he didn't say that. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and who are just spent, done, finished, empty. He says, you come. And I'll give you what you need. Come real as you are. Come. Just come. So often we approach God and we've still got all kinds of our own whatever gimmicks of how, how to deal with this. And somehow we want God to incorporate that and we see he's supposed to bless how, we're, how this is supposed to happen. When God says, would you please leave those things aside and let me be God. That's the kind of life Jesus lived. He was totally dependent on his heavenly father. I'm impressed again and again in reading different passages in the Gospels of how he'd spend all night in prayer. I don't believe it was just because he had to beg so long to, for, to get his way with God or that his wish list was so big. I do believe that there were two things that Jesus was most concerned about. One was the Father's glory and his relationship to the Father's glory. The other one, he was bound, dead, sent, he was dead, set on doing the will of his Father. And he wanted to do it precisely, completely. Whatever it took. He did not want to miss one beat of God's will. And since he had enjoyed, had enjoyed that intimate relationship ever so long with God, he delighted in spending time in connecting with God intimately, even if it meant losing sleep. In fact, Jesus said, I just do the things that please my Father and he was so he was he was so dependent on his father he was not going to do life on his own he was going to do the father's will he was going to submit to god's will not his own will in fact he prayed that even just before in the garden before he went to the cross not my will but thine be done whatever it takes god it's yours That's where we need to be. That's where I need to see myself. Jesus made a very startling, profound statement that I have heard from being, even when I was a little child, and you have probably heard it too. It's found in John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, Without me, you can do how much? Nothing. Can you measure nothing? Can you count nothing? Can you weigh nothing? Can you put nothing in a box? Can you go buy nothing? Can you own nothing? Nothing is exactly that. And Jesus says you can do just that much without me. Now doesn't that make you feel awfully dependent? 
if that's how little, which you can't even measure. That's how desperately dependent I am on God. Instead of that, we tend to come to God as a last resort, as I said before. And we actually want to get rid of all of of everything that we can possibly do on ourselves. We do not want to come to God helpless. That looks wimpy, doesn't it? We at least want to have the dignity of independence coming to God. When God says, when you are totally dependent on me, you're a bit like a baby in a parent's arm that just knows nothing about mom and dad and that I need them for everything that I have and am. Really, if you're a child, if you're a Christian, how did you receive Jesus? Did you receive Jesus with a, a bit of your own agenda attached to it yet? can't have Christ that way. When a person is born again, he comes just as I am, right? Empty, bare, nothing. We can't do anything. That's how we receive Christ. And Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 6, As ye therefore have received Christ, so walk ye in Him. The same way. We receive Him in weakness and dependency. And dear ones, we dare not, dare not try to claim independence and self-strength after. Because we are totally dependent on His grace. Totally. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To be a person that is just humble. He says, well shouldn't there at least be some self-ego, some self... I'm not talking about that we shouldn't do anything. But even the bit of, quote, self that we might be able to do is not our own. It must come from God. I need Him. Now, what happens if I don't pray? We actually rob ourselves of the help that we can get from God. Jesus said words like, you don't have, or James who find it, you don't have because you don't ask. There is a place when we sense we can still do this on our own, it's a bit like a child telling mom, dad, leave me alone. I can fix this myself. When they can't. Because without him we can do absolutely nothing. We rob ourselves of the opportunity of having God take care we place God in a place where he he can't really help us because God yes God could intervene and say I will help you anyway and sometimes he does but very often the things God is a gentleman so to speak and he will just allow us then to flounder find out how much you can try to do with nothing it doesn't work if I'm going to make prayer secondary, I'm making God secondary in my life. The estimate and place that I of prayer in my life is the estimate and place that I place on God. And so I I need to realize I need God. And because I need him, I need The bigger I realize God to be, the more I realize the needier that I am. 
I'm not talking about running ourselves down and that we're worthless and nothing but an honest realization of who I am and of my abilities an honest evaluation of that is going to draw me to be humble and dependent on him and that then brings about the second thing that I need if I sense that I'm needy first of all dependency the second thing is related to it faith actually by coming to Christ by coming to God is already a step of faith it is an indication of faith because I I'm trusting it may be short it may be small but I'm trusting because when I faith when I have faith I cannot really worry I cannot really take my own way when I have faith anxiety is basically self on its own trying to have control and Jesus said you can't worry and pray really at the same time he didn't say it in those words prayer and worry don't go well together at all I need to rest on the father's lap because I'm dependent because I trust because I trust and I'm going to cling to my father in the face of chaos I'm going to cling to my father regardless of what's happening around me because this is my place of security this is the place where things get done where my needs are met this is the place where I am safe and just like Jehoshaphat like I say he, he was asked to do something that is militarily and even logically unreasonable send singers to praise the Lord that was faith he says, we can't do anything. We wait on you. And God says, just do this. Jehoshaphat said, well, that's, that's the last thing. We, we can't go there. But God said, do. And God, God did what God wanted to do. He did. Faith is so important. Hebrews tells us in 11.6, for with he, without faith it is impossible to please God if we want to have any kind of connection any kind of relationship with God I need to be an indi- I need to be a dependent individual and I need to trust I cannot please God I cannot come to God Philippians tells us be careful don't worry about anything but by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God in James chapter 1 we could read verse after verse. I don't want to read too many of them. If, you, if we lack wisdom, we're supposed to ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord if he's a wavering individual. Trust. That doesn't mean we get always what we wish for. It doesn't always mean we get it when we want it. Because faith trusts God. And it keeps on trusting God. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Because to pray in the name of Jesus is it, it's according to your nature, Jesus. It's according to your will. My hands are off. And so Jesus will answer that prayer every time the way he sees fit he will prayer because I need so this morning maybe it sounds depressing (laughs) maybe we'd like to leave and say pastor really give us an upbeat one 
Well, this morning, I'm going to let you go home, not grovel in it, but I hope that you and I can start delighting in our dependency on God, in our nothingness. doesn't make us look great but it sure does something to God you know to have to have me nothing and God everything is a lot bigger than to me to have even a little part and taken away from God that will never work so realize with me let us realize our desperate dependency like when we sing that song, I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Jesus Christ has made to me what? All I need, not partial. Everything. We are just desperately dependent and then trusting Him, drawing to Him as a lifestyle. Not just as a once in a while moment of time and Jesus does say to us in Philippians my God shall supply all your needs all that includes everyone all your needs where it's suitable let us kneel to pray Gracious Father and God in heaven, this morning we come to you and we realize how often we've tried to do so much of life on our own without you. Because we want to be somebody and we want to show that we can do things. And yes, Father, I know we can. But Father, we realize again that without you we can do absolutely nothing that even the things that you allow us to do on ourselves it's because you give us what we can do Father help us to realize that again this morning how desperately dependent we are on you that we need to pray not only to get what we have and what we need but Father we want relationship with you because you want a relationship with us. Father, and I pray that our prayer life will become more meaningful, deeper, not just to us, but to you as we connect with you moment by moment, praying always in season, even when it isn't suitable, all the time. Father, we want to wait on you we want to grow to be more like Jesus and have prayer change us to your likeness, to your image. Father, I pray not just for our own individual personal needs, but Father, I pray for the 